When I read the full original story of The Ugly Duckling, Hans Christian Andersen, this week, as has happened throughout this series, I realized that there were many details I had forgotten or never known. Here's one of the things that grabbed me. Okay, so the ugly duckling has run away from home, from the farm of his birth. He's run away from siblings who relentlessly mocked him, the other adult ducks who pecked at him, the chickens who beat him, and even the girl whose job it was to feed the poultry, she kicked him. The whole farmyard laughed at him day after day until he took to his wings, and even then, as he cleared the barnyard fence, some little birds in the hedge chittered, and he assumed he knew what that meant. They were scared because he was so ugly. So he ended up in the thick of a storm at a little cottage where he took shelter. Went in through a broken door. The woman who lived there hoped that he wasn't a drake, so at least she'd get some eggs for her hospitality. In other words, from the jump, he was a disappointment even to her. Besides the woman, there lived in the little cottage a preening cat and an imperious chicken, and now we're at the moment that grabbed me. So as the storm clears, some sunshine and fresh air come in through that door hanging on one hinge, and the duckling starts to feel a great longing to swim, such a great longing that he can't help tell the hen, who's like, what? It's so delightful to swim, the duckling says. It's so refreshing to feel the water close over your head when you dive down deep to the bottom. Okay, delightful. Why don't you ask the cat how much he'd like to swim in the water or dive under it? Why don't you ask our woman? You think she'd like to swim or feel the water close over her head? The duckling, who, in my opinion, at this moment is a real glutton for punishment, uh, says out loud, you don't understand me. And the hen's like, we don't understand you? Who could understand you? And that's when I realized this chicken and I, we went to middle school together. Hans Christian Andersen is the greatest Dane who ever lived, and loads of people, especially Danes, make that claim with no qualifications and no caveats. Yes, Hans Christian Andersen basically created the genre of modern children's literature, but Danes especially know him as a novelist and a travel writer and a playwright and a poet, and also, who knew, a prolific creator of astonishing paper cuts. Here's some podcasters wax poetic about him folding up tissue paper. That's Hans Christian Andersen's happily ever after. There are museums named after him and statues of him and symposia considering his work and a broadly acknowledged legacy. That's the truth at the heart of the most famous quote from The Ugly Duckling. Being born in a duckyard doesn't matter. If only you're hatched from a swan's egg... All's well that ends well. The duckling, in the end of the story, felt glad at having suffered because he so much more enjoyed the pleasure and happiness afforded to him in the final moments of the story. Surrounded by fellow swans, having glimpsed his shapely neck in a reflection, and even overhearing the admiration of children come to throw bread to the birds. The new one, they said, is the prettiest of all. 
It may not surprise you, as it really did me, to know that Hans Christian Andersen was a strikingly homely person. Like, indisputably. You can go home and Google him, or you on Zoom, you can look him up right now. Um, you'll see what I mean. It's just a fact. He was tall and gangly and extremely thin his whole life, and he had a super high forehead, like I would say more forehead than was necessary, and this gaunt look, like, like Abraham Lincoln, if Abraham Lincoln looked always kind of like forlorn and moony. But while Hans felt his homeliness deeply, like he had the experience regularly of little kids, strangers in the streets, laughing at his appearance, even though he felt it, that was like the least of his outsider status. So first of all, there were his circumstances. He was born into grinding poverty. He lost his dad when he was 11. His mother and sister and some other folks in the family to make ends meet were sex workers. He didn't get any education until he was like 17. A contemporary Christ uh, children's writer wondered out loud if there is anyone in all of children's literature, anybody who's made it, who comes from a poorer background this contemporary fan thought not. No one came from nothing the way Hans Christian Andersen did. Besides his circumstances, there was discrimination. He seems to have in some ways been queer and he certainly took heat in so many words for being unmanly or womanly. Same old, same old discrimination across the centuries. He had crushes on women, usually women who were already engaged or not otherwise single, often women who had attractive charismatic brothers, which is like a very mid-19th century trope. But in addition to that, there was, to be honest, the matter of his personality. He was a precocious theater kid the kind of kid confident enough of his own charm that at age 14, he would recite or sing in the living rooms of prominent citizens of his hometown, staying until they gave him money or something to eat. He was an ambitious social climber who was explicit about his desire for fame and influence. He was what one fan calls extraordinarily weird. He traveled everywhere with a nine meter rope in case he needed to escape from a fire. He was terrified of being buried alive. And every night when he went to sleep, he left a little note next to his bed that said, I only appear to be dead. He once invited himself to Charles Dickens' house for what was supposed to be a two week visit. He talked incessantly and in the end, well, after he left, Charles Dickens wrote a note on the mirror of the guest room. Hans Christian Andersen slept in this room for five weeks, which seemed to the family ages. Poor little duck. Our scripture this morning is a cut right out of the middle of Hebrews 11, which you're not supposed to do. I mean, for one thing, it has the phrase all of these sort of toward the beginning, and we skipped anyone that that's referring to. So I'll fill us in. All of these refers to ancient ancestors, to the parents of the faith. Before the section that Elena read, uh, Abel, Enoch, Noah get named. These guys are absolute legends who walked with God. All of these includes also Abraham and Sarah, who set out for a place without knowing where they were going. They lived as nomads, looking forward to a place that God was making for them. They all served God faithfully, and they witnessed and experienced incredible miracles. After the section we read, there are more names, more heroes, more miracles, more faith in the midst of suffering. This is, Hebrews 11 is the, the 
faith hall of fame. Like, people refer to Hebrews 11 as the hall of faith. All of these, all of these people who we skipped over in the reading, all of these are as good as it gets. And all of these were commended for their faith. That's the very end of chapter 11. And so all of these lived happily ever after, right? No, all of these died in faith without having received the promises. But from a distance, they saw and greeted them. That's like if the ugly duckling got to the end of the story, saw his reflection, realized what was up, saw the other swan swimming way off in the distance, and like greeted them. Like, what kind of ending is that, aside from profoundly unsatisfying? All of these, after seeing and greeting the promises from a distance, confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. And by that confession, the writer of Hebrews said, they made it clear that they were seeking a homeland. People who talk like this are seeking a homeland. Not some place they'd come from, not some duckyard, but a better country, a heavenly one. And the writer promises, God has prepared a city for them. One more promise. I think the way that we use the phrase ugly duckling, like colloquially, I think it usually has something to do with a person being in their awkward phase, but we know or assume or hope it won't last. Like, for me, the long years between, like, fourth grade and when I turned 23. Like, years of perms and awkward vests, braces and precocious self-confidence, charming at times, but often out of step with my peers. Nobody in my hearing called me an ugly duckling, but there is something in our collective understanding of the story that we take to mean, in the end, it'll all be okay. You'll grow into yourself. You'll turn out to be beautiful. Another way we use it has to do with context. That quote, you know, being born in a duckyard doesn't matter if you hatch from a swan's egg. It's about being in the wrong setting. A place where others can't appreciate you because they don't know who or what you are. You need to be among your own. And I have to say, like an inherent problem that I found with the story this week is that baby swans and baby ducks are like the same amount of cute. You know what I mean? It's Maybe it's not a problem, maybe it's just an inherent truth of the story, because maybe part of the meaning is that a baby duck hatching early in some swan's nest would have experienced the same kind of abuse. That's all true, I guess. It's there in the story. But I think broadly we've gotten it wrong, or maybe it's just easier since he's so long gone to point the finger and say Hans Christian Andersen got it wrong. Because part of what's clear through many of his fairy tales is that he identified a, a universal archetype of a person, someone who was lonely, alone, suffering, the little match girl freezing to death, the tin soldier, the only one missing a leg, and the ugly little duck. All those little characters look like Hans. He identified a universal archetype and made it himself, and the happily ever after he gave himself, when he did, like in this story, turns out to be kind of unsatisfying and a fantasy. Like, the bird turns out to be beautiful. The bird, Hans, turns out to have had a secret grace all along that others finally recognize. Can you see the awkward 14-year-old dancing in a living room waiting for someone to see him? Being born in a duckyard doesn't matter if only you're hatched from a swan's egg. The end. Except for the fact that Hans, the greatest Dane to ever live, was still a total nerd screw when he died. 
He was ashamed of the house he was born in. When it was turned into a museum, he denied ever having lived there. The Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11, starts with a definition that we heard. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. <laughs> one, of the, one of the commentaries I read this week said, the postmodern mindset generally rejects such platitudes. That was one of the things that grabbed me. First, like, is it a platitude? And then also, what is a platitude? And secondly, it feels like exactly the kind of thing someone with a postmodern mindset would assent to. Someone might add adjectives, like faith is the ridiculous assurance of things hoped for, the unrealistic conviction of things not seen, but I'm not sure that this hypothetical postmodernist would disagree with the definition of faith in Hebrews. I ran out of steam on numbering things there. The point is, for me, that the definition of faith in Hebrews 11 actually hangs together, and, and maybe the platitudinous part of it, that's a word, platitudinous part of it, is what we think it adds up to, or what we've been taught it adds up to. The writer runs out of time at the end of Hebrews 11 and writes, what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets. Through faith they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of sword. Women received their dead back by resurrection. Others were tortured. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about destitute and persecuted and tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. All of these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. That's the end of the story. That and that one final promise to all of these, to all of us, comes a promise that God is not ashamed to be called our God and has prepared a place for us, a homeland. The end? What good is it? What good is it to me, to us, to know that someday, somewhere, there is a place to those persecuted and wandering, wandering, what good is it to the ugly duck, little fluffy gray Hans wandering through wetlands and other people's living rooms to know that someday he'll be appreciated? Faith, as any postmodernist would agree, is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. There's no proof. If there were, it wouldn't be faith. There's just a promise and a story about a bunch of people who all did it much better than I'm likely to, and even they didn't get what was promised. So I've kind of run out of time here, too. There's a lot more I want to say about Hans. There's a lot about his long visit with Charles Dickens. It's really good. There's so much more about the duckling. I haven't told you about the fact that the only friends he finds along his journey get shot. I wrote in my notes, the geese get shot, in all capitals. I haven't told you about all the other animals in the story who I remember from junior high. I haven't told you that at the end of the story, the other older swans bow their head to our guy and he feels ashamed after all that, still with the shame. 
all that suffering he went through, all that suffering that people go through, lonely and yearning, wandering, alien, even on our home planet with nothing but stories of the ones who've gone before us and a promise that God has made a place of real home for us. And it turns out it does do me some good. The hope, the promise, the, the knowledge of that home kept me going even through middle school. Kept Hans going, maybe. Kept Abraham and Sarah moving forward, knowing that there is more. A thing I noticed in the story is that the duck didn't know anything about the end. He didn't know until he looked in the water who he was. When he saw the swans in the distance, he didn't know he belonged there. There is, for me, some goodness, some value in knowing the promise, in knowing ahead of time, before the end of my story, that I am not, as I sometimes seem to be, an outsider, wherever I am. I am not a stranger wandering, and neither is anybody else. Instead, God, who is not ashamed to be called our God, has already made us a place. And having faith in that, assurance, conviction of what I otherwise have extremely limited proof of, that feels like it could lead us the whole way there.